And so I felt like it's important for us to take a look at what unbelief really is. And so I'd like to consider that this morning because uh, when we consider it, I, 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 as I was thinking about this, I, was, I, I wanted to open this by saying that, you know, uh, every one of us has been infected with a virus. And this virus has a specific particular, uh, has a specific purpose, and the purpose is to paralyze us spiritually. And this virus is a paralyzing, that the paralyzing virus that I'm talking about is, a, is unbelief that's in the heart. Every one of us, to one degree or another, have been influenced with unbelief. It's a matter now of how quickly we can come out of the unbelief that we've already experienced so that we might together as one man, that we might stand up in the spirit and that we might, bring, that we might as we said last time, draw a line in the sand and say, this is no, you're not going to come any farther. I'm going to shake off the shackles of unbelief. I'm going to shake off the shackles of that which has hindered me, that which has kept me from really standing and moving forward in what you've called me to. I'm going to shake them off once and for all. And I believe that as we consider doing this, it's not going to be something that's just going to be done by individuals, collect, uh, individuals individually, but it's going to be a collective effort that we come together, that we're watching for a brother, watching for our sister, that we're moving forward as one man in the spirit, that we're ascending up into the heavenlies in a greater degree than what we've ever done. I believe it's going to be absolutely essential. And so when we consider this, that unbelief is really a condition of the heart. As I've studied the scripture, I've realized something and that Jesus often rebuked people for their unbelief, but I never found that he rebuked people because they had a spirit. He rebuked the spirit, but not the person. And so unbelief is really a condition of the heart. It's a heart, it's a heart condition. Do you know there are two things in the New Testament that Jesus marveled at? One is he marveled at the unbelief of the Jews. And secondly, he marveled at the faith of the Roman centurion. And I'm wondering if Jesus came into our midst today and he just kind of walked among us, would he marvel at our faith or would he marvel at our unbelief? It's something that we need to consider. Because, you see, I, I, I believe that regardless what's coming, one thing I know for sure, the Lord would not be giving us the words that he's giving us if there wasn't something afoot. The scripture tells us that he never does anything unless he reveals, first of all, his secrets. He reveals them to his prophets, his prophetic ministry. That's a great safety. That's a great, that's a great comfort for us to, to understand that he is speaking to us. And he's speaking through enough voices, respected voices, that we need to prepare ourselves for whatever it is that's coming. I'd just like to give you a, little, a, a few, uh, just a little bit of, a, of a, uh, a listing of what unbelief will do for you. Unbelief kept Israel and Moses out of their promised land or out of their destiny. We're going to examine that a little bit more in a few moments. It causes, un, it causes rebellion and, and forgetfulness, where we forget the purposes and the plans of God. It causes murmuring and complaining in the camp. It causes a hard heart. It causes promises to be forfeited. It causes a loss of spiritual vision. All of these could, we can look at in actual scriptural references, but we won't take the time to do that. Unbelief causes disobedience. It hinders spiritual growth. It causes us to seek our own righteousness. It causes defilement of mind and conscience. 
And not only that, it causes a departure from God. And ultimately, it will cause us to die in our sin. Really, the bottom line is that unbelief is a form of pride. The reason that we would not believe what God would say is because we're too convinced and too sure of what we ourselves know or that we ourselves can hear for ourselves from ourselves. And so when we consider this, the Scripture tells in Chronicles 20, verse 20, Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe His prophets, and you shall prosper. Now, the key here is that it doesn't necessarily say here that we're to believe what God says, although that's certainly important. But what we really need to do is we need to believe in the integrity and the character of God Himself. Because, you see, if we don't believe in the character and the integrity of someone who is giving us a word, then we have no basis upon which to believe what is being said. And so when it says, believe in God and you'll be established, what he's really saying is, listen, we need to have an understanding of that God is absolutely sterling in character, that his integrity is beyond question. There's no variableness, no shadow of turning. There's nothing in him that's gonna, that is going to defile. There's nothing in there to be afraid of as far as an, a fearful afraid, afraidness. But we, we can come to him because we, he, we know, as we heard this morning, that he loves us, he cares for us, and he wants to do us good. Hallelujah. So we need, to have a, we need to settle something in our heart that God's character and, and, and that God's character is absolutely sterling. Isaiah 7 and 9 tells us, if you will not believe, surely you will not be established. The word established in both of these references means to go to the right hand. One of the, bottom of the basic meanings of the word is to go to the right hand. Going to the right hand in Scripture means to go to the place of blessing. It means to go to the place of honor, go to the place of, 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 of just being favored by God. There's a left hand and there's a right hand. But one of the meanings of this particular word of being established is going to the right hand. And I'm sure that every one of us want to go to the right hand. We want to go to the place where blessing. We want to go to the place where we're established in Christ. We want to go to the place where we have favor in, in, with God. We want to go to the place where we're, not, where we're the head and not the tail. Hallelujah. And so it's important for this, if we're going to, if we're going to be able to do this, it's important that we understand who God is that he cares for us, and that we deal with this, this virus called unbelief. And so let's take a look at it. Because you see, out there in Israel, out there in the wilderness, when Israel's out in the wilderness, as you know, they, they spent 40 years out there. And for 40 years, God rained manna down upon them. He had water for them to drink. He provided everything they needed, and yet they refused to believe him, and they could not enter into their destiny because of unbelief. I did some calculations uh, uh, some time ago, and I was very conservative in my calculations. And based upon the various scriptures, where there were 600 men that were ready for war that came out of Egypt, and I did some numerics with that, and, and um, I didn't even count the multitude that went with them. And, but if they, if they uh, what, what I conservatively estimated there, and I know it's a very conservative estimate, that there were over 2 million people, about 2,100,000 people, based upon half of those people being married and they having four children and all that. You come up about 2.1 2, 2, 2. million people. Now, that's roughly the size of Vancouver, maybe a little less than that. And that, that's the ones that came out of Egypt, and they aren't even, I'm not even counting the mixed multitude, and being very conservative because God said that when they were down there in Egypt, he blessed them and said they multiplied like fishes. And so though they went down there in 70 people, when they came out of Egypt 235 years later, they come out by the millions. 
plus the mixed multitude that was there. Now, I don't know how you'd have liked to have been Moses uh, leading that group out there, uh, especially when you get up to the Red Sea and, uh, you know, you had a little dust cloud coming in the back and uh, you knew it was the Egyptian army and you were there between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. But anyway, as I, I did the calculation here because the scripture tells us when the manna fell, it tells us how much each person gathered each day. And so I did some calculations on that and I discovered that, you know, these big old trucks that come around like the Safeway trucks or something with a, what, 45-footers with 9 feet high and four, 8 feet wide, whatever it is. I figured out how many portions would be in each truck trailer and how many trailers it would take to feed that conservative amount of people out there in the wilderness. It would take a string of trucks almost 10 miles long, just a manna every day. Then I figured very conservatively two gallons of water per person. I mean, for, per day. Now, that's to drink. That's to bathe with, you know, whether you need it or not. Uh, but to, to, to have some, to just, and not, not figure any water for the, for the cattle that were out there. Not figuring the mo- mixed multitude. And if you just took two gallons of water, you'd, you, you'd have like a, uh, over 8 million gallons of water, which if you put that in these big old tanker trucks, you'd have a row of tanker trucks 15 miles long to accommodate it. Now, that's every morning, every morning in the wilderness. Then I consider, well, we've got to think of waste. And I said, well, we'll take just a very conservative estimate, and we'll take a gallon of waste per person per day. And when you did that, you know, you got about 800, I think it's 840 tanker trucks going one direction, and you got 420 tanker trucks going the other direction. And did I hear somebody say quail? Quail? They were out there belly aching because they didn't have meat, and God said, I'll send you meat. East wind came up and blew those quail in there across, and it said that from the middle of the camp, it was a, there was quail a day's journey that way, and there was a day's journey that way, there was a day's journey that way, and a day's journey that way. Quail, I mean, we're talking quail. That was, a thir- that was 30 miles. A day's journey is about 30 miles. And so a day's journey, 30 miles in every direction from the midst of the camp, quail on the ground. There's a pillar of fire was in the midst of the camp every night. So Israel never understood and never had darkness for 40 years. At night, it was central heating. In the daytime, there was a cloud that stood over there and protected from the hot desert sun. They had central air conditioning in the daytime. 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. 40 years, their clothes apparently grew with them. Because they didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. And yet in all of that, they did not enter into their promised land because of unbelief. Think about that. They did not enter in because of unbelief. Now, when we consider the the goodness of what God has done for us as a people, and as us individually, I mean, there's not a one of us here this morning that couldn't sit here and we could count our blessings. And we could just say, God, you've been so faithful. You've been so good. But just because of what he's done in the past does not necessarily mean that we're going to be prepared for what tomorrow brings. Unless we deal with this virus that we've been infected by. Think about it. So what is it exactly? What was it? That would cause Israel's unbelief. The scripture tells us in Psalm 78, 22, because they did not believe in God and they did not trust in his salvation. But what was it that caused their unbelief? I'd like for you to turn with me if you'd 
I would to the book of Deuteronomy in the first chapter. And I'm going to give you a principle as, that is very important for us to grasp as we consider our own walk with the Lord and what He calls us to and where we're going. The principle is this. Our perception becomes our reality. Our perception becomes our reality. Our perception of God, our perception of each other, our perception of ourselves. Our perception becomes our reality. Even if our perception is wrong, it still becomes our reality. Is that right? Can we, are we on the same page here? So it's very important that we understand God in the integrity of his nature and in his character so that we can come boldly before the throne. We can make ourselves conspicuous before him is what the word calls for in the Greek. We can make ourselves conspicuous before the throne. We don't have to kind of sneak in and hope that he's not looking too closely as we kind of squeak off a prayer. No, we can come, we can come barging in there and say, it's me again, Lord. We can make ourselves conspicuous before him. So if that is our perspective, but if we have, if, if we, if our perspective is that God is just waiting to get us and waiting for us to make, do something wrong so he can, so he can, uh, he can uh, uh, zap us or something, we're going to be very hesitant coming into him. We're going to be very hesitant to make our requests known. And so our perspective becomes our reality. And I want to, I want to look at what it was that gave Israel such an, in, such an infestation of unbelief when they saw all those things take place out there in the wilderness. I mean, they saw God move them around. He saw, they saw uh, nations that were parted, uh, that were set aside. They saw the Red Sea open up. Somebody said, well, where Israel crossed on the Red Sea, it was just like a little marsh. It wasn't really all that deep. And I said, praise the Lord. That's a greater miracle than before because huh, here he was. They got the whole Egyptian army buried down in the marsh. When they got to the Jordan River, the second generation, as they're getting ready to cross, it was at flood season. And where they crossed, the river was a mile wide because it was overflowing its banks, the Scripture says. It was a mile of water there. You got a couple of million people here. And Jericho's on the other side. But he says, in all of that, they would not believe God. Why? What caused their unbelief? Deuteronomy has the answer for us. We're going to look at it over in... The first part of Deuteronomy, which is one of my favorite books in Scripture, where Moses is giving, he's rehearsing for the second generation as they're camped at Kadesh Barnea, getting ready to cross over into the promised land. He's, he, he's rehearsing for them what happened over the 40 years, and he's giving them like his last will and testament and, and just encouraging them and what all he's, uh, uh, what all he's encouraging them in. And it says, he talked, he's rehearsing for that generation, how they sent out the spies and how they came back. And some said, let's go take the land. And others said, no, we can't go because there's giants in there. And, and uh, how the Lord tried to encourage him that. But then we're going to pick it up down at verse 26 where it says this. Nevertheless, you would not go up but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents. Notice they weren't doing it publicly. They were doing it in their tents. They're doing it in their hearts. It says, because the Lord hates us. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorite to destroy us. Their, their perspective of God was that he hated them. That's what was the root of their unbelief. That's why it is so absolutely important for us to get a grasp, not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge of the reality that God cares for us. God loves us. And he gave us everything we would ever need to come into the fullness of his calling and the destiny that he's put before us. 
But their, pers- their, perspective, their, their perception was that God hated them. And therefore, because God hated them, they would, could not believe. You drop down a few verses, down to verse 34 of the same chapter. When the Lord, it says, when the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry, and he took an oath saying, surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land, which I swear to give to your fathers, excepting for Caleb. And also we know Joshua. So what was it that, what was it that caused the virus of unbelief to spread and so permeate the hearts and the lives of Israel that it kept them out of their promised land? It was their perception of God. What is it that's going to enable you and me to absolutely deal with the virus of unbelief? What is it going to, what is it going to take for us to deal with a paralysis that slowly starts to take over our spiritual being so that we can really come forward and move into our destiny and we can actually conquer the land and we can move into the place that God has for us where we can stand against the enemy as he comes, as, as it comes in as a flood. What it's going to take, my, my friends, what it's going to take, church, is it's going to take us coming to a realization that of who we are in Christ and more even than that, who Christ is in us because of who we are in Christ. And that can only be understood when we understood that God loves us and He's for us and that every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Hallelujah. It's going to take more than just head knowledge. It's going to take a heart experience. It's going to take a heart experience, a heart revelation. And so I want to say to you this morning that if you, have, if, you, if you are struggling with whether or not God really loves you and God really cares for you so that you can deal with this unbelief that's wanting to paralyze the church. And as we already had another, another word here, that there's, a, there's an onslaught release. That's an onslaught release that wants to stop the growth that's here in town and the growth of what God wants to do. You need to come to a place where you have a revelation of the love of God and say, God, make it real to me. Now, although this, this, what, what my friend was impressed with as being a, a, a principality of bitterness, there are spirits that, that, that move in upon and strengthen the unbelief in us to where the unbelief within us becomes such a stronghold that it can be related as a principality within our being. And so there are th- different things that work together with that. But if we're going to be free from it, we're going to have to come to the realization of who he is. And what he cares and what he wants to do. Now, the scripture makes it clear how we can get to that point. We can look at other verses here that would give us a reflection back. If you're taking notes, Psalms 106, 24, verse 24 through 27 is a reflection on the, of the scripture here in, in Deuteronomy 1. We won't, take a, we won't take the time to look at it and to consider it. But what I want to say to you is that in, in all of mankind's experience, there are only basically two motivators. Two basic motivators for all of mankind's experience. One is love, the other is fear. Those are the two basic motivators of mankind's experience, love and fear. Love produces faith. Fear produces unbelief. Now, these can also be reversed. Faith produces love. Unbelief produces fear. But the basic motivators are either love or fear. Everything that you do in life can be reduced down to its irreducible minimum where you're either being motivated by love or you're being motivated by fear. You say, well, how can that be? How does that relate to me going to work every morning? The reason, well, we either love your job or 
you're afraid you're not going to have the, the needs of your, uh, your, your daily needs met if you don't. And so it all, it all boils down to these two motivators, fear and love. Now, the Scripture tells us that, perfect, that, that, per, that there is no fear in love, and it says that it, it also tells in Galatians says that faith works through love. Faith works through love. What does that mean? It means that the more of a revelation and an understanding we have of God's love toward us, the greater dimension of, of faith we'll have toward him. That's why it's so important that our, perspe- that our perception of God is correct. Because if we think that God is, after, is against us and God is going to, wants, he wants to destroy us, and he's just waiting for us to do something wrong so he can thump us real good, we will be very cautious in our approach to him. That fear, I'm not talking about the true reverential fear that the Scripture calls for, but I'm talking about being afraid of. That fear will cause us to have unbelief. It will cause us not to be able to press in and press forward into what God has for us. Now, let's go over to the book of, of Matthew, and we'll look at chapter 17. There's a, there's a scripture there that I'd like, to, um, I'd like to talk to you about a little bit. Just in this 17th chapter of, of Matthew, it's also related in Mark 9 and Luke 9, but Jesus and, and his uh, three disciples who had just been up on the mountain of transfiguration. And um, as they were up there on the mountain of transfiguration, you know that happened. The glory came down, and Moses and Elijah were there, and then they came down from the mountain. The other disciples had been left down at the base, uh, down from uh, and dealing with the multitudes and all of that. And and uh, we're going to pick this this uh, story up in verse fourteen of uh, this seventeenth chapter of Matthew. It says that when they came to the multitude, that's the ones coming down off the mountain. Now, when it came to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, "Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water." He says to him, I said, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Now, this is the first the first point that we need to make. If you're going to deal with some of the battles that are coming, in order to get beyond the faithlessness and beyond the unbelief, the first thing that's necessary is come to Him. Come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. And so that's part of what, is, what He's wanting to teach us here, part of what He wants, what he wants to get across to us. And so He says, he, he says um, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from the very hour. Then in verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Another principle here I'd just like to touch on in passing. When we're in a time of ministry, and if things aren't going exactly the way we think they should, if we're not seeing the results that we'd like to see when we're in ministry, keep being faithful and minister anyway. But then in private, go to the Lord and say, Lord, why didn't it work the way your word says it should work? 
The disciples came to the master in private. They didn't come and question why. They didn't make a fuss out in, in the public arena, but they came to him in private. And said, now, Lord, what is it? Why did this not happen? Sometimes what we do when we come up against something and we don't get the results that we'd like to, uh, that we don't, uh, that we'd like to see, instead of us going to the Lord in private and saying, really hammering on, the, on heaven's door, so to speak, and saying, God, why did I not see the results? But here's your word. I've moved according to your word, and I did not get the results that your word calls for. Why not? It's okay to ask God some questions. It's okay to ask him and say, listen, I don't understand this. I don't know what's going on here. What? Tell me. Enlighten me here. Because, you see, God is a father, and he wants you to come to him. He wants to be able to explain it, just like as a natural parent. When your child comes to you because he doesn't understand something that's been said, and he comes to you and he says, Dad, I don't understand this. Can you explain it to me? If you're a decent father, you're going to take the time to explain to your son or explain to your daughter the principles of what it is that causes this thing to work. So it's a part of his development. It's a part of his growth. You're not going to tell him. You're not going to shoo him away. And you're going to say, well, man, smarten up. You need to find that out for yourself. No, you're not going to do that. God doesn't do it either. What he does is he draws us into his bosom, as it were, and he begins to instruct us and teach us in righteousness. He teaches the principles of life that is necessary to face the daily battles that we experience. He loves to do that. He wants to do that. Being one who has not had the privilege of having much education, that's how I learned this book. That's how I learned to know my God is in the secret place in the closet saying, God, what about this? What do you mean by this over here? I found that when you, when you know who the author of an of a, of a article is, the author of a book is, it's best to go ask the author what he meant by what was being said than ask somebody else's opinion about what they think the author meant. Can you say Amen. And so Jesus said, he gives him the answer here. He said, no, how come, why can we not cast this spirit out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, and he's speaking, I don't believe he's speaking about moving literal mountains around. I don't think there's any point in that, but he's speaking metaphorically here. He says, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. So he said, well, he said Lord, why could we not move this demon? Why could we not get rid of this thing? He said, because of your unbelief. How is it that we're going to cast out, kind of we're going to res- that we're going to remove whatever it is that the enemy wants to put upon us? He says, it's be, it, and what's going to hinder us from doing so? Jesus says, it's because of your unbelief that you can't make it move. Unbelief is what's going on. The paralysis of unbelief slowly takes over our being until we can no longer move in the spirit in those dimensions and those degrees that we like to move in. He says, what's, what has caused it? Why has it not been able to be cast out? Your unbelief. And then he makes a statement, which is in verse 21, which some of the manuscripts don't even have the verse, but he says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, when he says that in the, in the English rendering of the Greek, what he says here, when he says this kind goes not out by, by, except by prayer and fasting, we immediately think he's talking about the demon. And there can be some application to that, but what he's really talking about is their unbelief. What he's really saying is not going to get, you're not going to get free from accepting through, through prayer and fasting is your unbelief. Nowhere in Scripture is a demon ever expelled through prayer and fasting. A demon is cast out through a word. A word is what dispels a demon, not prayer and fasting. Now, prayer and fasting will give you the faith where you can speak to the Spirit, but that prayer and fasting itself is not going to free you from the Spirit. 
And so what is he saying? This kind does not, is not come out except through prayer and fasting. What's he talking about? Unbelief. Unbelief. This kind of stronghold, this kind of paralysis in the spiritual dynamics, this kind is not released. You're not freed from this thing except that you'll time, spend some time in prayer and you spend some time in fasting and you begin to seek God and say, God, I want this thing gone for me. I want the paralysis out of my heart. I want this unbelief to be gone from my being. I, I, I dare to believe you. I dare to believe what you say. I dare to believe your word. I have looked back over my history and I have seen your blessings. I have seen your provision. And God, because of it, I dare to believe now. Why couldn't we cast him out, Lord? Because of your unbelief. I, asked some, I made the mistake of asking somebody the other day how they were doing. And they said, well, under the circumstances, not too bad. And I said, what are you doing under there? <laughs> You're not supposed to be under the circumstances. The circumstance is supposed to be under you. How are you going to get the circumstances under you? Sometimes it's going to take prayer and fasting. We're going to take some prayer and fasting so that we can come into the place that regardless of what we feel, regardless of what our past experience has been or our past failures have been, we have an absolute confidence in the integrity and the character of the God with whom we have to do. We have, we, we, we have an absolute confidence. Our perspective of God is that He is for me and not against me. And if He is for me, who can be against me? And so Jesus said, this kind doesn't go out excepting through prayer and fasting. You want to get rid of the unbelief that's slowly paralyzing you? And I'll be the first one to say, you know, there's areas of unbelief in me. I, I, every time I'm in a, in a restaurant or a public place and I see someone, someone in a wheelchair or I see someone that's crippled in some way. And I said, God, to be in that place where Peter could say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We're going to see that. We're going to see it. We're going to see more of it. Some, perhaps some of us have had some experience of that in the past. And I'm sure we could all have our stories. But you know what? The success rate is not what I see the Scripture calls for and what the Scripture actually makes available to us. The success rate is not there. And so I have to examine my own heart, and I hear the Lord's admonition coming to me and says, that which hinders you from really moving in the success rate that I reveal in my Scripture, that which hinders you does not go out from you excepting through prayer and fasting as you seek my face. And you come into a greater, a, a greater assurance of the character and the integrity of the God that I am. I hope with all of these, there's something stirring down in our being that we're not willing to continue on with business as usual, but we're saying, listen, as was said a few weeks ago, the time of basic training is over. It's time for us to prepare for the battle. It's time for us to prepare for war because whether we're ready, uh, whether we're ready for it or not, the enemy's bringing it to us, and I would just as soon be ready for it. I want you to be ready for it. I want us to be ready for it as a community. I want us to be ready for it as a church so we can stop the battle in the gate, that we can draw that line in the sand and say, listen, you're not coming any farther than that because my salvation has been declared. My salvation has been bought and paid for, and I'm standing in it. I'm standing in the authority of it. I'm standing in the glory of it, and I'm standing in the destiny of it.
So the Scripture tells us, Hebrews 10, 38 and 9, it says, Now the just shall live by faith, not in the future, now. The just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The word draw back here doesn't mean that you stop and change directions. The Greek word for it, actually what it literally means is you, re, you go along with a certain pace, and then you just kind of slow down. You're still going the same direction, but you're just going a lot slower. You got tired. It's a little bit like I do. If I'm out and doing a brisk walking with my wife and we come to a bit of a hill, I tend to slow down a little bit. Excepting when I want to impress her and I, want, I run up the hill and wait for her at the top, panting. But he says, right now, the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul, the Lord says, has no pleasure in it. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. You see, our spiritual life could be likened to being on an incline. When you're on an incline, you have to, have, you have to exert a certain amount of forward pressure in order to keep moving up that incline. If you don't exert some forward motion and some forward pressure, the easiest thing to do is just kind of start sliding back a little bit. Sliding back, drawing back from where we were, losing a little bit of ground. The enemy comes along and says, well, it's okay. You're tired. and It's okay. Nothing real serious is going to happen today anyway. You don't need to be too prepared. But what happens is just a little bit more of the unbelief catches on to us. A little bit more grabs a hold of us, and our heart gets a little bit more paralyzed, and, our, and, they, and we're not able to believe the Lord the way we used to or the way we want to. And as a little bit more catches on to us, a little bit more catches on to us, and the first thing you know, we, 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 instead of us even attempting to believe God and attempting to, to move forward in those areas that He has called us to move into, and things perhaps we moved into in the past, we begin to excuse ourselves for not doing it. I'm convinced. That all error and all false doctrine is rooted in an offense with God. I'll explain that. And what happens with that offense with God is it opens up the door to a greater, greater degree of unbelief in our hearts. Why do I say it's an, with an offense with God? Let me just take healing, for example. If I pray for a hundred people and I don't see any of them get healed... I'm offended with God because his word says that they're to be healed. So because I become offended with God, I either have to say there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with the word. And so because I have pride in myself and I don't think there's anything that, that much wrong with me, so it must be something wrong with the word. Maybe it's dispensational. That's it. It doesn't belong to us now. It was okay for the early church, and it might be okay in the future sometime, but it's not okay for me now. So I start propagating a doctrine that says healing is not for today. Maybe it's in the area of deliverance. Maybe it's in the area of being freed from sin. Maybe it's in the area of saying, listen, we can get free from unbelief where we can be absolutely filled full of faith. But if I begin to have some reasons or I can calculate reasons in my thinking of why I should accommodate unbelief, sooner or later what I'll come up with is a doctrine that accommodates my unbelief rather than accommodates the sterling character of God. And I'll say, well, some of these things, you know, we can settle maybe for a 30 or 40 percentage of the time when we pray. No, God says, these signs shall follow those who believe. If they're not following me, then evidently I'm filled with some unbelief somewhere. And so if I'm going to get free from that unbelief, this kind, Jesus says, does not, does not let go. 
excepting through prayer and fasting. The scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 3, and I'm going to close with this. It gives us an admonition reflecting on Israel is not able to go into their promised land. In Hebrews 3 and 12, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in, in you any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It's the only place in the New Testament where that particular phrase is used in the Greek, an evil heart of unbelief. And that shows us how God, this, this shows us how God sees the heart of unbelief. He calls it evil. It's an evil heart. He didn't say if there's 5% of it evil. He just says if there's an evil heart of unbelief, God, or if, there's, if there's a heart of unbelief, God calls it evil. How much unbelief does it take for God to call it evil? I don't know. But I do know this. He has made the provision for you. He's made a provision for me. He's made a provision for all of us to be free from unbelief. I'm going for it. I'll tell you why I'm going for it. I'm going for it for your sake. And I'm going for it for my own sake. Because you see, we're members one of another. And what becomes, because we're members one of another, what is my battle becomes part of your battle. And what is your battle becomes part of my battle. If we really believe that we're members one of another, then we need to stand as one man. And we need to move forward and allow God to eradicate the paralysis that is in our hearts, the virus that gradually wants to spread to keep us in bondage to itself so that we don't dare to believe God, so that we will be relying on the natural medications or whatever. And I am not against natural medications whatsoever, but let's leave those for the unbelievers out there. Let's get our medication. Let's get our vaccination in the spirit as we get a zap of faith, as we get a zap of taking care of ridding us of the unbelief so we can stand and be counted because of the glory of the Lord. It's our calling. It's our destiny. And when we look back at how God brought us thus far, then surely he can take us on from here. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and that it was a blessing to you. Uh, I'd encourage you to come back and uh, watch for others as we are continuing to put more podcasts up all the time. Uh, if this was meaningful to you and uh, as a blessing, I would encourage you to go to my website, lmrministries.com, and uh, just how about buy me a coffee or even better, a vanilla latte. Just hit the donate button and uh, put in a couple bucks for a coffee and let me know that you appreciate these uh, messages and uh, podcasts that I'm putting up there. And I trust that they'll continue to strengthen you and bless you and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Again, thank you and have a wonderful day.